All right, let's get ourselves to Voss. I have my Google Maps open, so I know where we're going. It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson. I'm a professor of economics at Oregon State University, Go Beefs. And with me is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible, although Beer Bible Volume 2, Edition 2. Wait a minute. I've forgotten now. <laughs> you never got it right. What do you mean now? Well, okay, uh, what is it? Second edition. Second edition. Beer Bible Second Edition. Uh, available at your favorite bookstore now. Go get it. Indeed. That I can endorse. And last week we learned soon to be in Portuguese. So next time you're in Brazil or Portugal. Yeah, I don't know. Or about... Angola. <laughs> oh, really? Angola? Yeah. I didn't know that. A few, a few, a few lusophone places. Huh. Very, very few, but those are the... Oh, yeah. yeah. Mozambique, I think, too, right? Uh, Do I have that right? Maybe I'm... I, that, that I've, I've just gone over the... Over my skis. Yeah. <laughs> badly there. I was thinking about that when I was in Norway, that, that they were not one of those those countries that that went around and... That speaks Portuguese? And, That's correct. Uh, no, that conquered other places so that other countries speak Norwegian. The only place to speak Norwegian is in Norway. They didn't have colonies. Well, dang, the Vikings got around, but yeah. Yeah. They but, were brutal and barbarians, and so... And now... They didn't really translate much culture. <laughs> but, and, and, their, and their descendants speak like English if they're... If they went onto that island and yeah. so, so and the angles were Germans anyway. So anyway, uh, tune in to our other podcast, uh, Modern British History and Its Roots in Ancient uh, Modern Viking in, Modern Modern European History and Its Ancient <laughs> Its Roots in Viking Conquest. Uh, hi Jeff. Hey Patrick. Hey, the sun's come out. A week Boy, ago, it just, oh, like just a week ago, it was gray and rainy, and you may have heard it rains a lot in Oregon. Yeah, turns out right yeah it's been raining a lot in oregon it's it's been in western oregon it could, it could rain a bunch more in uh southeastern oregon that's right they would uh, be happy for that in central oregon yeah i know they're still down but, but oh big, man we yeah. have I, I love the i love the clouds and i love the rain i gotta tell you me too it's been a lot of clouds and rain i kind of enjoy the sort of the rite of passage that the seasons bring in oregon like yeah. you go through the gray rainy bit uh but this is different we're we just we have been drenched. It's, it's been just drenching, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rain, rainy bit never used to be drenching. It used to be misty and cool, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But misty, mossy, and cool. I am going to take this little bit of sunshine here as an augury of sunshine to come. Yeah, which and may or may not be true. In a, in a few pods, we'll be complaining about how hot and sunny it is. It will only take one week of sun before I'm, I'm going to regret it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's new with you? You're back from Norway. We're going to be talking about Norway again today. We talked about it last week as well. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, you know, that's kind of it. Hey, a couple of podcasts ago, we um, we visited our friends at Rosenstadt Brewing. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, now I'm going to blank on it. Was it the Pale Ale? Yeah. Yeah, so they gave us some beers afterwards. The ones, some of the beers that we didn't try on the pod. Yeah, and uh, we texted about this. So we, they both they gave us both this pale ale, and they're a German, you know, very you know serious German tradition brewery. But you know, they're in the northwest, so this is the only beer they do that you would not find in Germany. Well, and and even you might find it in Germany right? <laughs> these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was amazing and different and unique, and I loved it. Yeah, it was very. You you wrote. You texted me because you had it first. And you said, "I love it. It's weird." Yeah, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and that was exactly my reaction too. 
uh, when I when I taste it, I text it back. You're right. Yeah. Do you remember the hops? They have some weird uh, German uh, Northwesty hop. I don't remember. Yeah. Dang it. I should have prepared for myself. This just popped into my mind. Uh, but I, I, the reason I brought it up now is because I've been meaning to talk to you about this um, uh, uh, because I thought it was uh, it's pretty cool. It's not it's not often that you you drink a beer and you think I've not really had anything like this at all right. before. And so I love those moments. Those are little epiphany moments. Um, and so that was just one. You know, I feel like I've had most of the stuff I'm going to taste already. So they're all grown in uh, Germany, but they are they include Amarillo, uh-huh. but also uh, Polaris and Mandarina Bavaria. Ah, the Mandarina Bavaria, I think, was the one. And maybe Polaris, too, but yeah. There you go. But yeah, the Mandarina Bavaria, I'm assuming, just by the name, mm-hmm. was probably the... Yeah, the name kind of gives it away. That key little citrusy pop that it, in, in, on kind of a little bit of a traditional German base. Yeah. Right, right. So it had uh, German malts, very full malty flavor, which is not the way Americans do it. Um, but then it had this delicate kind of stone fruit to light citrus hopping, which was super unusual and not, <laughs> not the kind of hopping you taste in America. Yeah. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, I have another comment that has absolutely nothing to do with the beer, which uh, I don't know. Uh, I was traveling downtown the other day, and this was at rush hour, what, what normally would have been rush hour. And I got downtown in like no time at all, and I was way early. Uh, and, and, it, uh, and this actually, I circled this around to beer, which is interesting because I wonder now how much like half patterns can be, been completely disrupted. Like, are they ever... I was kind of a skeptic about this whole thing, like everything's changed now and it's all going to be remote work and blah, blah, blah. I thought, ah, it's crazy. I'm still a little bit skeptic because if if it's if the downtown office space is going to get abandoned by current tenants, then it'll just get leased by new tenants at a lower price. Like the, the market will adjust. But uh, Where are you going with this? <laughs> I was going to go with beer, which is uh, I still think the same thing is true with like restaurants and pubs. Like they're not as full. Hundred percent. Yeah, totally. And, and in Oregon now, we're having a little mini spike of the newest variant. But you know, we're lar- especially in Portland, we're largely vaccinated. And most people that I see are unmasked and sort of getting about their lives normally, mostly. But this is two areas where I think it's still really different. And I don't know. You you talk to publicans more than I do. No. Oh, well, I, yeah. I- I don't know about overall sales, but I have certainly observed the same thing, which is that uh, they're not as busy. And also, I always joked that Portland was the city that sleeps. Man, that's got even more extreme. Like by eight o'clock, it's like everything is dead as a doornail. Okay, so that's another point, which I think that's partly a function of the fact that during COVID, places close really early and they haven't gone back. And maybe it's because the demand's not there, but also because I'm just expecting, oh yeah, nothing's going to be. And um, and labor shortages. Right, right. Like I think they lower, they're keeping their hours tight now also because of labor shortage. But you're absolutely right. You know, try to get somewhere at 9 p.m. on a Friday and mostly everything's closed. It's shocking. It's, yeah, it really is. Yeah. And so I look around and think, okay, oh, hey, 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 this one's open till 10. We can go there. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I, um, I don't know. It would be interesting to talk to industry people, brew, brewers and brew pubs and stuff. And, but I just feel like, the, the the ripple effects of COVID are still being felt really strongly in those industries. Yeah. And it might be both on the, the consumer side and also the, the labor side. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right that the labor issue is a big big factor here. Because um, I've even the reason I think that is because I've seen it on doors. I walk in and yeah. say, we have limited hours since we don't have the staff. Oh yeah, the other day I stopped. Um, I wasn't going in, but I, I parked in front of a Starbucks in the middle of the day or mid morning, right? Like, and it just said, we're closed for the day. Uh, we got, we got no orders. And then, and then I was driving my home, my son home from soccer practice. And there was like a, a Taco Bell on Powell, which is in Portland, a huge big thoroughfare that was closed at like 7 PM on a whatever Thursday night or something like that. Crazy. <laughs> it's like, Whoa, what's going on? So yeah. So things are not normal. No, they haven't, they haven't bounced back. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that the places have that have pivoted, did pivot, and they're still probably seeing good sales packaged wise, but I still, I bet draft is still way, way, way off. Yeah. I think that's right. It's got to be because even when people are going out, they're clearly not staying there all night, you know? So yeah. they're just not, the, 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 the consumption per person has got to yeah. be down. So. It's weird. I'm in a different place. I'm like, I'm ready to be back. Let's go back. Let's be normal. I'll, I'll take the risk. I'm okay. I've had three shots and, and an infection. So I feel like. Yeah, you, you, you got the COVID. I'm, I'm still. That's what makes me feel ridiculously uh, uh, impervious, which I'm not. I know this rationally, but I don't care about rationally. Emotionally, I feel good. Like, bring it on. I don't care. Cough in my face. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that way a little bit too. But right before my trip to Norway, which we will get to shortly about what I did there, uh, I decided to get a booster, um, which yeah. I wasn't going to do because I was being super cavalier. A second booster or a first? A second booster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would have. I mean, I was thinking about that. But now I got my infection in the end of February. So I figure I'll wait six months. Yeah. That'll put me into August. And that'll set me up for the fall. That's, 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 what, that's what I was going to do, too. But then at the last minute, I thought, you know, I'm going to a foreign country. This is kind of stupid for me to be, you know, doing this. I'm an old man. I should, I should get my booster. And I actually, I emailed my doctor to get some Ambien, which is what helps get me through. <laughs> and he said, you should definitely get a booster. And so I listened to him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, that was a good call. Yeah, it was a good call. And I think COVID, I still have not caught COVID, despite yeah. having had far more activity uh, in the last year but, than most people have had. But my burning question for you is, did you do the old switcheroo? Did you I did. Get, I, went, yeah. I, I did. So yeah, that's what I'm doing too. I got Pfizer, and then I got the Moderna, the Moderna booster, and I went back to Pfizer. Oh, you've done the double switcheroo. Yeah. See, I did an all Pfizer, and I'm going to go to the Moderna when I go. Back and forth, yeah, back and forth, back. they say that's good. I'm going to do that, man. Yeah. All right. Well, should we talk about beer? Well, just for the just for the hell of it, why not? Uh, I'm looking forward to this because you and I haven't had a chance to sit around and chat, uh, and so I actually don't know much about your trip to Norway. So we have a special show today. When Jeff was recently abroad for the Oslo Craft Beer Fest, which you learned all about in last week's pod, Jeff took a few days to travel to Voss in ne- in western Norway. It's kind of like due west from Oslo, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the valleys where traditional farmhouse brewing has continued in an unbroken tradition for centuries. It's one of the sources of the uh, quite yeast strain we explored in show 127. Wow. Good research. You yeah. went back. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so on today's show, we'll hear an interview with <laughs> Shetel Dale. I like how you phonetically done that for me. Thank you. <laughs> one of those brewers. Uh, you'll actually get the real pronunciation when you hear the when you, when you hear his interview. But uh, we'll also describe some of the details from the 12 and a half hour brew day that Jeff participated in. All of that soon, but first, the new. Recent news caught our attention. 
the Independent Brewers Alliance announced that its member breweries had reached 1 million barrels in collector production. What's interesting about the story is the IBA itself. A purchasing co-op started back in 2016. It fools the buying power of hundreds of small breweries. The current membership stands at 231. Together, they can place orders on ingredients, services, and equipment and get the kinds of large discount uh, the kinds of discounts large breweries have always enjoyed. I did not know this thing existed, and I thought that is really cool. A buyer's collective. Yeah. Who knew? And to- I had no idea. I didn't either. It seems like that should be a bigger story. What's interesting to me is this is 231 small breweries. Yeah. How do they get together and decide what the heck they're buying? Well, I think what they do is like they all need cans, so they buy cans and then – That stuff, yeah. yeah. But like – do we buy a whole bunch of Cascade hops? No, I don't want Cascade hops. Those are old school, man. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I saw that they collectively bought yeast. I didn't actually see uh, malt or hops on there. Yeah, maybe that stuff is not as important in terms of scale right. pricing you get. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, but things like steel uh, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, cans is the cans, big issue right. these days, right? You need like a, you need a minimum order of a million cans or something like that with ball. And we talked about this a couple shows ago. Right. Uh, that's really interesting. It is really interesting. I had no idea they existed. I know. Uh, is this like um, countrywide, cross-country yeah. membership? Yeah, yeah. It's, an inter- it's, a, it's a national thing. And I, it, they, they keep their they – don't, they don't post a list of their breweries, so I don't know which yeah. breweries they so are. So now this gets <laughs> – now my little mind starts working. Like, okay, so we all get together and decide we're going to buy two million cans. How do we get those cans in the right places? Yeah, that is – I wonder about that too. Um, Sally told me that there uh, that she knows of a, a purchasing co-op in – uh, down in southern Oregon. Uh-huh. Sally, your wife. Sally, my wife. Owner of a small cannabis company. That's right. And these are not, this was not a cannabis uh, per thing, but right. said what they did was they have their, their address is a vacant lot in, in Williams, Oregon. And so what happens is they make their order and the, the truck just shows up to that vacant lot and all the people. And they all just descend on the truck and they grab their, <laughs> they grab their stuff. So I, I, maybe this, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. But that requires proximity. That's why I was wondering, exactly. like, if you're a brewery in, you know, Virginia and then another brewery in Montana, right? it's hard to find that vacant lot that we're all going to show up at one time. <laughs> right. one time. Uh, so there are complications, but, you know, they could buy a big warehouse and then have little shipments from there. I don't know. It would even make economic sense to do that. Yeah. You should find out. This I should, should find this out. This would be a good beeronomics podcast. It's funny. Let's it was get the, to the details of this. It was one of those things that came across the transom, and they were really proud of passing a, a million barrels, which is the least interesting piece of that whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that we exist is the most interesting. <laughs> buried the lead, dude. Yeah. Uh, do you know where they're based? I don't. I'm sure I'm sure they have a website. I'm yeah. sure it says. But, uh, All right. I, uh, that's a lot. I know there's a lot there to find I assigned out. You, I assign you the next task is uh, to go figure this out. Yeah, I, I got to get to the bottom of this. Get some research going here. All right. Uh, second news item. This is a beer podcast, which means most of the news is low-stake stuff. But we have some heavy news to report. Uh-oh. According to recent reports, as many as a third of Britain's 10,000 fish and chip... <sighs> fish and chip shops could close in the coming years thanks to the pressures from the war in Ukraine. Andrew Crook, president of the National Federation of Fish Friars. I, That's the most British thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Is that the most amazing thing ever? I know. I knew you would love that. <laughs> oh, we can stop now. Uh, he told uh, CNN that up to 40% of the industry's cod and haddock come from Russian waters. And about, yeah, so that's how they can win. The Russians can 
like conquer the hearts and minds of Brits is, yeah. is cut off their access to haddock and cod. Yeah. Whoa. And half of it, sunflower oil is imported from Ukraine. According, uh, adding to pressures are rising energy prices, spiking prices for the fertilizer used to grow the potatoes. It's all fun and games until the local chip shop is threatened. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I, I wow, know. you think you think there's some hand wringing about pubs closing? Just wait until the local chippy ship chippy closes, and I mean, there's no more Britain after that. Like, it's all over. Exactly. I blame Brexit for no reason whatsoever, exactly. but I just blame Brexit I, I, for anything. I, like I feel I feel the same way. That's the first thing I thought. Of. I kept looking. At it, right, how, do, how do I blame Brexit? How do I? Oh, that's terrible. I know. I know. I you fish and chips, by the way. Yeah, I remember uh, you and I had fish and chips in some town. It might have been Burton. We were. Do you remember we were gambling through? The, it, was, it was late at night, and we came across. It was. It wasn't a shop. It was a cart, and we bought them, and we were like gobbling them as we yeah. scampered through the town. Yeah, it was. I felt like. Yeah, this, actually, is, this is such a British experience. Yeah, my, my my vivid memories as a kid is the classic, you know, fish and chips in the newsprint, mm -hmm. greasy, dripping. Yeah, you can you never get newsprint anymore because right. the newspapers. But, <laughs> uh, uh, and and it's changed now. You know now it's like these storefronts with heat lamps and stuff. And right. Um, but yeah, and then in Scotland you have it with a brown sauce. Uh -huh. yep. Anyway, uh, we're getting <laughs> we're off track. This isn't the beer pod, but there's nothing more close to beer than fish and chips. So. There really isn't. Yeah. And uh, uh, when I saw that, I thought, well, that is terrifying. I hope that uh, I hope that. This war ends very soon for lots of reasons, but also we can get back to normalcy and have our fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I I, I think we've all been pretty wrenched by the news of coming out of Ukraine and just the existence of this war. Yeah. And by the way, a little news item that came, and I'm going to have to just do this from memory. Uh, uh, but there is some brewery in eastern Ukraine that has put out a new beer that's OTAN, O-T-A-N, which is the French acronym for NATO. <laughs> nice yeah right Very on the classic. can yeah. yeah right in eastern ukraine yeah is that thumb, thumb in the eye to the russians uh, eastern ukraine oh so like is it in the donbass something i think that's the what it's, i think that's what it said but remember i'm going by memory and yeah, remember yeah. that and i think you've commented on my memory so far in, <laughs> at least in this podcast or i don't remember it could be the last <laughs> podcast yeah uh but that's what stood out to me i was like oh east like they're really this is a risk, man. That is a risk. Yeah. Yeah. All right there. So. Yeah, I know that we're, you took the box, but I'm going to say uh, Ukraine, uh, maybe this, this can be beeped from the radio version, but Ukraine has no more box to give. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're in full on, uh, yeah, rebellion mode and, and good for them. Yeah, good for them. All right. Uh, so let's get to uh, to your trip to Voss in Western Norway. That's right. Uh, and I'm going to we, – we have 26 minutes of tape from Shetel and – got to get to it. And we got to get to it. So I don't want to talk too long here. And maybe set we, us up. So the, the Valley of Voss is uh, not a fjord uh, apparently because um, in order to be a fjord – It's got to be connected to the ocean. It's got to be connected to the ocean. It's yeah. not actually connected to the ocean even though there are all these lakes. So it makes it seem fjordy. It's not really a fjord. But yeah. anyway, it's, it's this deep valley. Yeah. And it's kind of cut off from everything else, which has the effect of making it a great incubator for preserving tradition, which mm. is exactly what's happened. Yeah. And uh, the brewing tradition that we've heard about and the Kwaikis and all of that 
is a downstream consequence of episode 127. Uh, episode 127 of the Quike East. We talked all about that there. But the the, the traditions that preserved homebrewing uh, and farmhouse brewing are a consequence of being in this remote valley. Right. Isolated. And they're, um, you know, they're part of this altus, which you're going to hear about, which is the smokehouse where uh, you would have smoked your meat and baked your bread. It's just <laughs> to paint a picture. It's all, all the all the homes in Voss have really peaked roofs, which mm-hmm. is what you find in snowy places. Snowy places, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want flat roofs. Good for the preservation of the roof. Yeah, uh, and at the top is a is, an, is a hole. And then they put a little roof over the top of the hole. Mm. And they put a giant fire underneath that. Right. And so you've got this big steep area. And when you're smoking meat, that will fill up with smoke. Right. Uh, usually you use kind of wood uh, that will create a bunch of smoke. And then underneath it, you can actually, it kind of separates out. Um, and so you can breathe underneath it. Uh, but that's also what they brew on these, in these big copper cauldrons. And if you've seen the, if you've been to the blog, you will have seen these things. They are 150 liters, which is about 40 gallons. Wow. So they're about three feet wide and maybe a foot and a half tall. On top of a big open fire? On top of a I big open fire. I haven't been to the blog yet, but I will. Yeah. I have. A, I actually have a whole uh, three and a half minute video of nice. the process I'll describe now uh, of brewing. But um, uh, anyway, do you want to open that beer? Yeah, so let's open this beer. This is a beer uh, by the brewery Kings and Daughters. I do love that name. That's it's awesome. a great name. Yeah. Uh, Kings and Daughters Brewery. Um, the the name of the beer is Slow Departure. It's a mo- uh, dis- the label describes it as a modern West Coast India Pale Ale. It's got a lovely picture of a Washington State Ferry, which I know very well from the time when my mother used to live in Bainbridge Island across the Elliott Bay from Seattle. Uh, but they are based in Clackamas, Oregon. Yeah. So this is Kyle Larson, who started at Full Sail, and then wow. he was the head brewer at uh, Double Mountain for quite a while. And that's yep. when he came into my orbit. He was making some really good beers there. Uh, so Double so, Mountain Hood River. Yeah, out in Hood River. So I, I got a, uh, his attention. He got he came to my attention. Um, then he went to, even though he was already a good brewer, he went and got a degree at Harriet Watt in Scotland. In and Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. I know Harriet Watt. And he stayed on the island and brewed at a place called Siren Craft Brew, which is a little bit west of London, mm-hmm. before finally coming back to Oregon a few years ago. Uh, and he planned to open Kings and Daughters right before COVID came, of course, and that was terrible. And um, but he's finally gotten gotten it up and going, and it's a he has a uh, an alternate proprietorship with somebody who's in Clackamas. So that's how we got here. Uh, and I don't have, the reason we're making this instead of um, a Voss ale is because I don't have a Voss ale, but we might actually be mailed one. So if we do, we'll have that in a future pod. So we nice. thought we'd try a beer that we haven't had before. It's a lovely looking beer, by the way. Yeah. It's a very modern IPA in, in, in the color profile, which is light now. It's true. But Remember it's- when all IPAs were car- caramel colors? I do, but you know, it also has the same level of haze you would have seen in an IPA 20 years ago, which is pretty cloudy, but not like hazy, not like right. a, a North a New England IPA, yeah. haze, but just like yep. a fixed kind of shimmer. Mm-hmm. And it smells very modern. Uh, of, I'm getting white wine, stone fruit, mm-hmm. more than tropical. Mm. Well, that's nice. Oh, that is nice. It says. It's very sessionable. Uh, 
Uh, mosaic, mosaic incognito. The hell? No idea. Indie Strata mm. and Simcoe. Although both uh, Simcoe and Mosaic say YCH, which is just Yakima Chief. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, is and that like it, particular? And the Indie Hops Strata is what that means, Indie Strata. So I, yeah. Oh, so they're just giving their hop merchants I some, guess so. some love. Yes. <laughs> okay. So that's why I cut out that YCH because I knew that was Yakima Chief and yeah, Indie Hops Strata. So it's just Mosaic, Mosaic, Incognito, Strata, and Simcoe. I am now fascinated to know what Mosaic Incognito is. What I'm loving is this is not very Mosaic-y to my nose. I'm getting much more of the white wine stuff. Than oh, really? Some... I get Mosaic for sure. Huh. Interesting. For my palate, that's awesome. Because but it's nice and dry. It is. But it's but it's crisp. It's, in it, fact, it's, it's, crispy? No. <laughs> no, it's not crispy. <laughs> it's highly attenuated, but it's very fruity. So yes, it's yeah, yeah. crisp finish, but in the mouth at mid palate, it's all kinds of fruits, mm -hmm. but um, but gentle, not nice balance. Not super yeah, balanced. exactly. Nice balance. It's it's an elegant beer. Yeah, and I would. And it's an elegant label. Mm -hmm. Everything is elegant and refined. I would call it. I would. It's really good. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I would say. Well done, Kyle. All right, let's get ourselves to Voss. I have my Google Maps open, so I know where we're going. Indeed. It's a six-hour train ride and one of the most gorgeous train rides ever. I bet. 60 bucks, and it is absolutely worth 60 bucks. Um, you go up on top of this glacier, and I put, put some of these on social media too. Uh, even in mid-May, uh, uh, it's deep enough that there were houses that were covered up to the roof line. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it's it's past the dead of winter kind of substantially. And then you drop down into this deep, deep valley where Voss lies uh, right next to a river that is crystal clear. And you can see sometimes it'll open up into these deep pools, but this is pure glacier meltwater and it doesn't have any material in it at all. It's just pure, pure glacier water. And you can look, you know, you can see 10 feet down easy, just like it's, an inch it's just crazy clear wow. it's, it's an amazing nice. gorgeous place yeah and then you pop out into this green green garden valley and it, it does look quite a bit like the columbia river gorge in some ways um again those trees on the, the mountainside are dense forested and you got uh, birches which we have in the northwest uh and but mostly it's predominantly spruce which just look like little fir trees they're probably about half the size of our Douglas firs but um very familiar terrain so I felt I felt at home <laughs> when we dropped down in there. Um, Shaitel picked me up and we went out to eat and we went to his farmhouse and we sat out next to a fire and drank his quite the day before the brew. And to just kind of give you a sense of the context of the tradition here, uh, we would go into the Eldus the next day to, to do the brewing and, and that was a rich in, environment. But he, um, he started by pouring out his beer. He, he poured about half an inch into the bottom of his glass and then he he muttered a few words and threw it onto the ground <laughs> and i said what are you doing he said oh you know you do that you make a an offering to the little people and i think they're under your disky or something like that um, the people under the ground the people under the ground and we talked about this um and he tried to explain it to me and it was very difficult for me to understand he called them um the underground people and then he kind of called them trolls but my uh, but our sense of troll is really malignant and 
in this case, he wasn't trying to describe malignant people. Right. Um, there's some story of this really beautiful one of these underground women. She wears blue. <laughs> a man falls in love with her, but she's got a tail sticking out from underneath her dress. And, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, you know, this culture uh, is is rich. And later, um, we would have dinner uh, at this local wooden Guild Hall downtown in the, in the town hall, which dated mm-hmm. to 1295, wow. and it was wooden. So for a wooden structure to last that long, it's remarkable. Yeah. And we sat there and we ate these these roasted sheep heads, um, which are are quite something. It's the local tradition. Everybody, even in, even in Oslo, they know that in Voss you eat the sheep. Heads. You eat the, she- the head of the sheep. Yeah, wow. that's it's a big famous thing. Uh, and then we passed around these kingas, which are these awesome Viking looking bowls that are Viking ship looking they, bowls. Right? Yeah, they look like a Viking ship with uh they have the the head on both sides. Right. And I learned when we were drinking when we were eating together that they're communal bowls and the reason you have them on both sides is so that when you hand it to the to your neighbor, mm-hmm. you have a handle and then they have a handle. And right. then you drink it by holding it with both right. uh horse heads. But um but that's uh that's sort of the tradition. So there's all these layers. So like you know in the same place, you would have uh, you, you would go to the the forest, which is right there around all the farmhouses, mm-hmm. and cut down your trees for the olives. And those are the trees that you would make your chengas out of. Right. And in the olives, you would have uh, smoked your meat and done your sheep head, right? And then you would make your beer. And um, all of these things are sort of built into the the fabric of the way the farms worked. Right. But, you know, the brewing is, is part of the thing, but it's it's just a big, you know, a part of this, this whole kind of thing that's going along. And the most remarkable piece of it is that all of these farms, there's there's uh, uh, there's only 15,000 people in this valley, and the local, uh, there's a local museum. Uh, well, he, I shouldn't call him a museum director, um, but it's the best way I can think to describe him. This local academic who directs, he's now the CEO of, of, of a local academy mm-hmm. and kind of a, a parent group of, of museums. Um, he has done some research, uh, some surveying, and there's, there's something between 130 and 140 Aldhuses still left in the valley, and many of them are in use. So it's not a it's not a dead tradition. And the amazing thing is, many of them have these old 40 gallon cauldrons of. Uh, copper cauldrons they make beer on, wow. which we'll learn that Shatel found in his house. It's you know well over 100 years old, mm-hmm. could be older than 200 years old. So these these brewers have access to this old equipment that's just been laying around, basically in the barn, right. uh, which is so remarkable. Um, they they also have wooden fermenters. Um, there's a, another brewer named Ivar uh, who came over and joined us on the brew day and. Uh, he he still uses his wooden uh, fermenter, and Chetel has a little one, but it's too little for a batch. And he's got another one in the house, but he can't get it out of the room because the door in that room is not <laughs> 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 got to figure out how to get that out to get, get it out to the firehouse. Oh, all of means uh, firehouse, ah. so it's because this fire is right in the right. middle. Right, right. Um, and so he hasn't figured that out yet, but he'll at some point be able to use his, his, his wooden fermenter. So that's, that's, that's the context. And I feel like the beer is cool. I'm going to talk, I'm going to give a super quickie overview of, of how they make the beer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really feel like 
if you just focus on what happens in the 12 hours of the brewing uh, here in Voss, you kind of miss, I think, why it functions and why, why right. people make this beer. The forest for the trees, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, while you've been talking, I've been looking at the gorgeous photography, by the way. Kudos. Thank you. That you posted on the Beer Bottle blog, so I would recommend people go check that out as they're listening or soon after uh, to see these amazing photos. Thank you. Yeah, that's on the old iPhone 8 and my $14 app that I purchased for the, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I gave you no end of shit about. Yeah. But I think it looks nice. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not too bad. Um, so I know that um, we're already running long based on uh, how long that uh, interview will be. But I do want to mention the, the brew day is yeah, please. long. It yeah. is. Um, Start with a big fire. It's not just the quite yeast, right? So yeah. there's, there's all these things that happen. So uh, the first thing, and this is typical across Scandinavia uh, and in the Baltics even, is they do a juniper infusion. Mm. And what I didn't realize was that this juniper infusion, which is so typical, is something that is just used on the farm. They use juniper water to uh, clean things. Oh, okay. And it's an anti, it's, an, it's a disinfectant. So right. that's the reason why they use it in, in the beer is oh. it helps disinfect things. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a cleaning agent. And so it's like another one of these farm things that they just would have had and just would have done. So that we started out the day uh, running water into the uh, starting water run 150 gallons of water or liters of water into the cauldron while Shetel, uh clipped boughs from a juniper tree uh-huh. and then we put them in the pot and it the thing is when you're trying to heat a pot that big yeah. it takes a long time yeah and so that's like two hours just to get that up to the almost boiling temperature right um, and that's going to be the mash water right so he's heating that up as strike water right but it's also got this juniper and the thing is we have juniper in the united, in the united states even in oregon and i think of it as a really pungent yes kind of like um it has that tingly quality almost. Uh-huh. Uh, theirs does not, and apparently, sort of mentholy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Theirs doesn't have that. It's yeah. much earthier and more. Uh, interesting. And when I stuck my head in, this, oh, and then uh, not only do you use that strike water for the mash, but he takes those bows and puts those at the bottom of his mash gun, and they become the filter bed. Right. right. So I stuck my head in the, in after he packed them all in there, and it smelled like incense, like mm. really just rich aromatic incense and the water tasted earthy herbal and not mentholated and it's a and it's why that day before when i was drinking the quike i couldn't i couldn't taste he's like you taste the juniper i'm like uh, no <laughs> you know i'm looking for a gin flavor exactly you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. it's not in there yeah. so that that was curious so then the next stage is uh the mash so he slowly uh he he'll he'll add some barley and at this point they only use commercial malts in Voss and mm-hmm. other places uh, I think they still have a malting tradition but not in Voss so right. he just went to the homebrew store and bought, bought barley right. ground it up and so he would layer it in add some water and to make sure that, the, that it was really mixed because right. he's got this filter bed so he can't just yeah grind, you know like stir a like, big paddle yeah yeah so he's got to kind of fold it in there and then uh, so hold on so that the, the kettle is the juniper water the water with juniper bows in it is is over an open fire. That's right. And then another vessel has the juniper bows on the bottom. The mash and water go into that vessel. How do you transfer the water from one to the other? Bucket. 
Okay. Yeah, I was, I was curious about that too. I was like, <laughs> hey, that's a lot of water. How are you going to yeah. get that over there? I, I assume you don't have a pump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, bucket. Okay. Uh, and, and then, so the cool thing about Voss is there, there are some hallmark things that are characteristic of, of uh, farmhouse beer, mm-hmm. and they all have it. But beyond that, you have a wide latitude. So the, the temperature you mash at, the length of time you mash at, totally up to the brewer. Mm-hmm. And uh, brewers would come over throughout the day to visit Shaytol because it's always kind of a deal when somebody homebrews. So a lot of times other brewers will visit because yeah. they don't do it that often because they make so much beer, right? right? So why would you make You don't brew that often. You're making 150 liters. Uh, it's a lot of beer. Um, and, you know, they would comment like, oh, I do it this way. This is a better way to do it. But in the brew house, total deference to the brewer, which was fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're like, you're the chief here, <laughs> which was cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then he matches it, and then, you know, you pull off the mash. Uh, he he got some uh, – while it was mashing, we heated up some more water to sparge. Uh-huh. Um, ran that off uh, into buckets, which we put back into the cauldron. And then the, there's a, a boil. And a carrot, one of, the, one of the most important things is a long boil. So uh, long can't be – variously uh, described. The, uh, one, Ivar, the brewer who came over and spent some time with us, uh, boils for seven hours. Wow. crazy long. Yeah. Um, is does a, a very modest four-hour boil. <laughs> uh, and the interesting thing about these four hours is it will you know, help caramelize the malt, give the beer some color and some texture. But you have some trouble over there. Yeah. These cauldrons have a lip, uh, which I'm using my hands to show you, and no one can see. But you'll, uh, if you look at the photographs, you can see it. But what it does is it creates it creates a convection uh, mm. with with both the liquid and also the steam. Mm. But what happens is the smoke also comes up and gets caught up in that thing, mm. and it will it will it will infuse the beer with a little smoky flavor. And the and I noticed that the day before, and I thought this seems like a phenolic note. But I, but yeast, the yeast, the quite yeast are famously not phenolic. So I couldn't figure that out. And then it's like, oh, it's the smoke. And we talked about it later. So that's another component. So uh, juniper infusion, smoke, long boil. These are the, these are three of the thing, three of the four things that you, you must kind of have to be kind of a vo- characteristic Voss brewery. And then of course, the last thing is the quite yeast. So we, we boiled it for a long time. Uh, he had a work chiller like you and I have. I was about to say, yeah. Cool yeah. So copper coils that he ran water through. Um, and of course, you don't have to cool it down that much, uh, right. like 200 degrees or something. Yeah, Fahrenheit. That's right. So you don't have to cool down that much. In fact, you don't want to cool it down that much. Um, and Shetel has a, a separate room that he actually has heated. It's his fermentation room because you got to keep it warm, right? And it, even though it was it was May, it was still getting way colder than fermentation temperature. So you couldn't leave it in the Altus because it would have just been way too warm. Uh, way, it would have frozen overnight, not frozen, but gotten cold. Um, and then uh, within 12 hours, it was, uh, that yeast was totally rocking, like full on. We pitched it, you know, eight o'clock at night. And by the next morning, it was, it was hopping. So that's the process, and it takes about. How long does it take to finish out? Uh, a couple of days, and uh, he he did. Say, they're farmhouse brewers, so they they can they, 
they're not on a production schedule, so I think they usually let it sit for a week or something. Yeah. Um, and then you have so you have forty liters basically. You have uh, you start out with forty gallons, one hundred and fifty liters, and then uh, but after the long boil, you end up with I don't know what it is, but it was like four big plastic buckets. It's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was gonna ask. It's so, gonna be like twenty five, thirty gallons. around or how? Yeah, so they have. Um, I got to have a couple of you know meals with would have fairly typical foods. Um, uh, yeah, sheep said one night, but another night it was sausages and pork and uh, these little these little potato wheat cakes. Uh, there's a, a turnip kind of thing that you eat that they're they're really common that we had. Um, so and you'd have you, you know you have bike with these things too. So especially if you're going to have any kind of gathering where people get together, it seems like they they love to bring out the bike. And um, we had this wonderful. Uh, dinner the next night at the uh, uh, the, the the guild hall, the seven hundred plus year old guild hall, uh, where we had the sheep's head. So I'm sorry, uh, and everybody bought the quike, and so yeah, I'm slow. So quike is the, just what they call the beer, and so when we call quike yeast. It's from the name of the beer. I mean, they don't really call it quike. They, I, I sort I sort of call it quike. It's quike beer, really. I think that's a better thing to call it a quike ale. Yeah, because the yeast is properly the the quike. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, well, we should probably get to this. Interview. We should. This is going to be long, and I apologize for that. But I, I think. Worth it. Yeah, I think the I think the, the lead in is actually valuable. Yeah. Uh, give you, a no, sense. you set the scene. Yeah, and as I say, if you have access to the internet, go to the beer on the blog and look at the pictures. Yes, and there is there is that little video, so you can actually video, see yeah. him go through this process, yeah. which is pretty cool. Awesome. All right, let's get to it. All right, I am in uh, Voss, Norway, right now. Uh, sitting next to a cauldron of boiling wort with 150 liters of beer in it. Uh, and I'm with the brewer. And I'm going to have you introduce yourself so people hear your name pronounced properly one time, uh, at least, before we get started. So tell us who you are. I'm Shetel uh, Dala. And Shetel is uh, one of the traditional farmhouse brewers here in Voss, which is uh, one of the places in uh, Scandinavia and, and this part of the world where farmhouse brewing has continued to exist. Uh, and I've spent the better part of the today here watching this process play out, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. So why don't we get started by hearing uh, your story in terms of how you... so. People can't really see what's happening. We are in a particular building built for brewing beer. And there's a kettle here that's quite a bit older than you are. Uh, but you, but you, um, your, your, your father didn't brew beer. So tell us how, tell us how this whole story plays out. Yes. Uh, I grew up in this farm. Uh, I lived here uh, until I was 20 years old or so. Then I moved to Oslo, to the big city. I wanted to try out some uh, other stuff. Uh, lived in Oslo for 10 years, but I decided to go back to my uh, original place here at Dalle Farm. I met my girl in uh, Oslo, now in Bergen, and um, we decided to move uh, back in this farm. And this farm had been uh, staying empty uh, for approximately uh, two, three years. So we were starting to renovating the place. 
First we do, did uh, our buildings where we live in and we have another house where you staying at. Mm-hmm. And um, we have this Eldhus. And this Eldhus we are sitting in, brewing in right now. And I have good memories from this Eldhus. I was sitting here uh, with my grandmother especially when I was smaller, when I was young, when I was a kid. We did um, not brewing, but we did the, all the other things you do in Aldous, like uh, smoke the meat. We uh, prepared uh, this traditional uh, dish here in Voss called Smalahove, also uh, called uh, sheephead. <laughs> we burned them uh, in this fire you can see here. Yeah. Yeah, but this house was a mess when I come home. It was like a storage place. It was, uh, yeah. You could barely open the door. You have stuff all over. So one day I decided, okay, now we have to clean out this place for real. <laughs> and I started and I uh, was digging my way in. And in the corner, I found something interesting. I have seen them before when I was a little kid, but then I didn't uh, think about it. But it was this thing the kettle, the copper kettle. The copper kettle is uh, taking 150 liters with uh, beers in it. And um, I was thinking, oh, wow, this is nice. And uh, one of my friend, Doug Jorgensen, he's the founder of Voss uh, Brewery, he was in the start of his business at that time, he said, hey, you have to brew. You have to start <laughs> brewing again. Yeah, yeah, sure, I will. But um, I know some of the history here. Um, my, my father didn't brew. Uh, my, my grandfather uh, didn't brew. But my great-grandfather brewed. Okay, so we... Um, had some um, dog had some knowledge and uh, I knew a little I have an uncle who were brewing in uh, the other town called Granvin not far from here mm-hmm. so I could uh, definitely do this so we so we just uh, <laughs> shovel out all the things up into the side make uh, make place for the kettle put it on place and start and this building, uh, to paint a picture for people who are not here, uh, it, it's a, it's got a tall, uh, steep roof which opens in a hole at the top, mm-hmm. and at the in the middle of the room is a slate platform, and it's kind of the shape of a coffin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and on half of it is a fire pit, and then this cauldron is suspended over on a on a wood beam, um, and if you were uh, if you were smoking meat, you'd hang those in the rafters. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's it's designed, it's kind of like a smokehouse. It's sort yeah, of designed yeah. for this purpose. It is a food house, actually, because uh, back in the days, people lived in these houses. Before they got modern houses like we have now. I call my house modern house. <laughs> it was built in 1890. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but uh, then they have a similar place like this. They had a yeah. They had a kettle in a, in a, in one side of the building, and they had beds in a, in the corners, and uh, they make food and open fire in the middle, as you see here. 
that that was normal. But uh, sometimes they they moved uh, the the smoke goes a little bit away from the other buildings in case of fire. Right. And um, yeah, so. Um, so this house has been used mostly for smoking meat because we prepared our meat, we salt it and we dry it and we smoke it in here and we do a lot of bakery stuff in here like the Norwegian flatbread and krota kaka is another puta kaka is another dish and you have lots of those dishes uh, yeah so um, so when I grew up, it was still use, in use for that. Oh, it was. My, my, my grandmother did all that things. Here when, where I'm sitting, it was a big uh, table that uh, they had flowers on and they are baking stuff. Ah. Yeah, and they had this, um, yeah. So you uncovered this amazing kettle, which is how, how old do you think this kettle is? We don't know how old that uh, is, but uh, I can say it's uh, from 100 years to uh, 200 years okay. or more. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, yeah. And you think it was probably last, your great-grandfather probably brewed with it until the 50s or something? Yeah. The last brew uh, we know uh, make, who are made here in this house was for my grandparents' wedding uh, at the barn. Okay. So my... my, my great grandfather he was brewing for that wedding then and I think maybe it was uh, another uh, brew in early 60s but then it was uh, some uh, another family from another place they had no brewery equipment uh -huh. and they asked if uh, we can borrow the equipment and brew so that was the last time they brew here gotcha mm. this this idea of brewing for a wedding uh, you, you were telling me that that's typical. Um, part of the farmhouse tradition is brewing for special occasions. Yeah. So what, who do, what do people brew for? <coughs> okay, the regular brewing was yeah, at least three times in a year. We had to uh, make the, the most important beer, the Christmas beer. Uh -huh. uh, that should be strong and dark and uh, contains a lot of alcohol in it. Um, and we make brew for the springtime mm -hmm. when we are starting to have a lot of work to do and that should be more light beer yeah uh, maybe like four or five percent and that uh, even lighter version of that is the last running of the mash it's called spissöl in Norwegian and uh, they took that separately and uh, boiled it after they had done the beer. Mm -hmm. And then it's, uh, it's called slotte beer, slotte öl. Uh, it's, uh, it's like for the workers out in the field. Uh -huh. So they could, uh, could drink some nice cold uh, beer at work and not getting wasted. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. because it was only 2-3% strong. Yeah. So they could uh, easily do like uh, a couple of liters of that when they were working hard. Right. Mm. Yeah. And what was the third mandatory yeah. period of the year? Yeah. And uh, for the autumn as well, you should have uh, in the late summer, you, you made some beer. You should have, yeah, to uh, maybe August, September or something like that. So you have something to uh, drink when uh, the weather was colder 
and uh, you're starting to prepare to brew for the uh, Yule Earl, the Christmas beer. Right. But um, in other occasion, you should also be uh, <coughs> brew for um, uh, when there was a wedding, of course. Yeah. And uh, if there was a new member in the, in the family, it's called Barcel Earl or children's beer. Okay. When it's a newborn, you should uh, make some brew for him to right. honor uh, the new member of the family. And if people died, uh, you should also have a funeral beer. Mm-hmm. After he was putting seven feet under, then you should celebrate with some good beer. Right. Not celebrate that he's dead or her dead, but celebrate the person. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, how, uh, so uh, I think in another podcast we're going to go more slowly through this whole process, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, two gener. It skipped two generations, and it comes back to you, which means there was no one to tell you how to make this beer. So how do you uh, go about? Th- th- this is not the kind of beer that is written about. You know, there's not textbooks for how to make this beer. So how did you figure out how to make this? No, as I mentioned, I had a friend who could brew. Mm-hmm. He was not a traditional brewer, but we talked to my uh, uncle. He was a traditional brewer. And I talked to a lot of other friends who was uh, traditional brewers. So I got some tips and tricks how to do it. But they, they all said, but you decide how to do your traditional beer. It's important. Um, we do it like this, but you have to get it under your skin. You have to try it. You have to brew plenty of brews. And then you learn. Then you will learn how to make a traditional brew. Hmm. At, at uh, yeah, so I'm still in the yeah the learning process. I've only been brewing for eight nine years. <laughs> right, <laughs> which in this in this place counts as not very long. <laughs> no, no, that's not uh, very long. Uh, so I'm sure. In order for it to be called traditional, for other people to recognize it as traditional, it has to have some characteristics. So, what 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 would you call like traditional brewing in Voss? What is what is the parts that you think are essential for that kind of long tradition? Like what you, your great grandfather might have done, and so on. It's the yeast. Okay. It's the key here in uh, Voss, yeah. especially the yeast, because uh, the yeast is really special. It's called kvike. Yep. And it's survived for centuries. Uh, and only in small pockets here in the west coast of Norway. Uh, so, uh, and that's survived only because we have done this traditional brewing, as you can see here today. People have kept the traditional, and they are taking care of their quike, used it, saved it, stored it, and used it in another brew. So, uh, so that's uh, a lot of characteristic taste of the Vosse bear. Right. Uh, I, I think when we went through this process, you also used juniper in the process. That yeah, seems juniper as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a really uh, important thing in this tradition. Juniper is, uh, can be used for multiple uh, yeah, use. You can use it to... Um, it has special um, qualities, like it's some antiseptic. Uh-huh. So... Uh, it uh, helps preserve the beer, it helps make cholera in the beer, and it helps the taste. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, um, 
And you can also use it to uh, wash your equipment, your wooden equipment. It's really nice to uh, take uh, care of all the bacteria. And uh, you can use it to wash your hair. You can wash your floor. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a really uh, nice thing. It yeah. sounds like it's a pretty big deal. You tasted it uh, today and you said it was kind of different from what you... That's right. Was, so, it's uh, uh, for those people who have had American juniper, um, the the juniper grown here is more herbal. It's less intense. It's not nearly as strident in terms of its kind of that eucalyptus quality. Um, it's more uh, earthy and herbal here, uh, which means that it, in fact, so the the process that Ketel went through was uh, you start out the very first thing you do is you create an infusion mm -hmm. uh, of water, which then becomes the water that you use to mash the beer mm. and so the first thing you do is you make this big pot of a uh, big pot of water with uh, juniper in it and it gets very aromatic in the uh, old uh, say the name of this building Aldhus. Aldhus. Um and when I stuck my head in the mash tun it, it kind of clicked into focus it really smells like incense in a way um, so yeah. it's a very nice, it's a very nice aroma mm. and it's a subtler aroma than it is in, in, uh, America. So when you taste the beer, if you're looking for that really gin like strong juniper thing, mm. it's not there. So no. you have to look for something else. It's a more herbal kind of flavor. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about this valley and the other people who brew here, because while we've been brewing. We've had other brewers, and I'm actually looking across the room at Ivar, who is another brewer who came <laughs> came in. So you so you have a community here. Yeah, we have a community, and uh, that's important because uh, this is a it, it could be a dying tradition, and it's important to uh, keep it alive. And uh, and here in Voss, we do it like we have community. We have uh, every year for the Christmas beer, the most important beer, we have this content. Uh, contest mm. uh, where how, uh, who is the best to brew the Yule Earl or the Christmas beer <laughs> so then uh, and it has, has to be traditional you has to be use a uh, quike and it should be traditional uh, with the copper kettle and open fire and right. stuff like that right. and uh, that is really nice then it, then it show like it's uh, 22 <coughs> traditional 22 to twist 25 traditional brewers still active here in Voss. That's good. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and uh, through this community we can share um, beer, knowledge and history. And quike. And quike. Somebody, yeah. you, the, the, the bottle that we have uh, here in front of us actually came from another brewer today. Yeah, it's come from Sjur Herman in Durvedalen. It's a, it's a famous quake. I love it. It's called uh, Durvedal's quake. And uh, yeah, I think it's really nice. So I asked Schuhermann uh, if I can have um, some quake uh, from him. And he said yes. And you notice I didn't thank him. Because that's a superstition. <laughs> right. You should never thank a guy for using borrow a quake okay. because then you can get his fortune or unfortune with you <laughs> into the brew so uh, you can't risk that I of see. course yeah there's some really interesting it's it's a very old tradition uh, Norwegian farmhouse brewing is very old tradition 
possibly thousands of years old mm. uh, based on some of the research that's been done. Um, so of course you have all these uh, kind rituals. Of rituals and stuff. And last uh, night when you poured me our first uh, glass of beer, you made an offering. Will you talk about that? I found that really fascinating. Yeah. Um, last night I will show you my beer. But I was taking some out of the house and I said, okay, before we taste it, give something to the people who live underneath us. <laughs> Maybe you in your country you can call them elves or whatever, but here you call uh, the underjordiske or huldra or um, yeah, like small trolls almost. Um, and uh, that is an important thing in uh, Norwegian folklore. And uh, in the old uh, days, when there were more nature people, they, 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 they did their offering to those people. Because there was a more like a parallel uh, universe. They lived almost, they did the same type things like us. But you should uh, respect them take care of them and then they take took care of you mm. so uh, and when we should taste the worst now mm -hmm. um, we couldn't just take a glass and drink first we have to throw some worth out of the door to the woman in the door ah. maybe an elf and to the into the fire the fire elf okay uh, and then we can take a sip because uh, then we are sure that they are gonna take care of the beer and take care of us later. And what happens if you don't uh, make these? I don't want. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of stuff can happen. The beer can get sour. You can break a leg. Uh -huh. I, it's a it's a sub superstition, but I think it's a, it makes sense because uh, back in the days, they were. They had no uh, scientific uh, answer to everything, so they had to do something to uh, re have to rely on something, and uh, they have to do their rituals to make sure things gonna be okay. So, right. Yeah. So uh, if you we can we can close this up pretty quickly, but um, if you wanted to communicate something to people who who were not raised in this tradition about why it's valuable and and uh, you know why other people should understand what you're doing here. What what would you tell people? Why is what valuable to make this kind of beer? What do you mean? Yeah, to know what you're doing here, because I think very few people, uh, until recent years, even knew that you were doing this. Now I think it's really valuable because I think a tradition, an old tradition, and we have this quake is really unique. We have to take care of it. And, uh, and uh, it has have so special qualities, this quake. Uh, I'm sure lots of people in the States are is aware of that quake now. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, it's really important to, to have this technique uh, to, keep them, uh, to keep it alive, because then we can take care of our culture, we can take care of our quake, and we can take care of our yeah, heritage. Yeah, so um, for me that's really important. So, so uh, recently I start 
started my own business here. Um, I have a website and you, you can book a, a course. You can come here and experience this, this brewing. If it is for a whole brewing or is it just for two hours with some stories. Uh, but I think it's uh, really important uh, that people is aware what, about what has happening here for a thousand of years and it's still not dead. Right. Yeah. yeah, and you can stay in the house that I'm staying in and you've got another project for the future which we should, we should probably mention too because uh, not only can you do that now but in the future you've got a, a new building going up. What's going to happen there? Yeah, you, you mean the barn? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a new building, it's from uh, 1910 but I'm renovating that and uh, and there I built a bar and a scene so there's it's going to be um, happenings like uh, beer tasting hopefully I can sell my beer in the future uh -huh. in the bar we can have uh, yeah celebrate weddings um, other parties and of course con concerts or everything so um, yeah I hope to uh, get that uh, up soon I have to change the roof now so it's a lot of work but uh, yeah I'm on it right and I'm having some um, things in my wood you know I'm building some glamping wild glamping in my woods you can rent a teepee outdoor and uh, yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. some tr tents hanging in the trees I think it's really cool that you're gonna offer this pub because uh, one of the things since it's a non-commercial product um, people don't have an opportunity to go and buy this beer anywhere so no. uh, creating opportunities commercial opportunities for people to be able to access it when they come to Norway I think is a cool thing and I hope maybe we see more of that so when people come to Voss they can try different beers from mm. different producers yeah uh, maybe maybe you'll get enough Americans coming over here that <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll we, are, we already had some Americans here and uh, people from other places so uh, so um, that's nice yeah yeah it's it's spectacular here too um, it, it, it's funny because w when I was in Norway or in Oslo um, I was talking to people there and they weren't really familiar with this tradition which is kind of surprising to me but um, every time I mentioned Voss they got really excited and said oh it's so beautiful there and it's true you take the train from uh, Oslo here you mm -hmm. you come over this glacier and fall into this uh, come down this ravine, this racing river into this amazing green valley with really, uh, it's I guess it's a fjord, so it's got these rock walls that it's quite striking. Mm. So it's a wonderful place to visit. Yeah, and I think it's uh, we are mostly <laughs> known nowadays because we have a big extreme sport festival and stuff going on there because yeah. the location. But uh, the trend is now that people want to uh, experience more culture. And uh, we see that uh, from the Norwegian as well. We are a little bit, we don't, um, we are born into the culture, so we are kind of blind of what's happening around our corners. But I'm, uh, it's starting now, uh, I think, uh, at other people uh, from other regions of Norway will come to the west coast of Norway to experience the unique culture we have here. So I've uh, already, uh, Marking the yeah the enthusiasm and uh, I, I I think it it will be good in yeah. the future. Well, uh, the people who listen to this podcast are beer geeks, and many of them are brewers. And I will tell you, the experience of making this beer is extraordinary. So if you have a chance to come to Boss, you should do that. Um, and 
yeah, sit here for 12 hours and make beer from the, from the infusion through the uh, the pitching of the yeast. So, I'm, which we're not even to yet. I haven't even seen the pitching of the yeast yet. So no. I'm excited to see that part. Uh, you're more than welcome to my place. School, school, school. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, uh, that was Shital uh, Dale, and I want to. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention on the lead-in was you can go stay with Shetel. He, he is one of the, the champions of this style of beer. And uh, at, there at the end, we talked about it, um, about how you can visit him. But he, he has uh, this, this house that I stayed in, uh, which you can rent. And he will, do, he will brew with you to the extent you're willing to go he will even brew for the he'll do the full shebang if you want to see that but he really wants people to see what's going on here as as some of the other brewers do and they're really trying to figure out a way to get people to come see it and and i checked the prices and they're they're like uh the the price that you'd spend on a hotel room in downtown portland it's like that and you get you get all the bonuses you get your own house and you get all the bonuses so it's a, it's a pretty good deal yeah. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I, I have to say that it's an immersive experience that it's hard to appreciate without being there. So I would, if you have any interest, you should go check it out. It's pretty awesome. So the most important question, how's the beer? Uh, the beer is interesting and it's so off the grid for what people think of as beer. I think, you know, one of the great things, if you do go to Voss and you hang out with people, uh, he will definitely hook you up with other brewers and their beer. And it's what it, it, I think it's valuable to try different batches because then you can begin to see where the flavors are. Like you can begin to taste the smoke, identify the smoke. You can that earthy herbal bit that the uh, juniper contributes. You can pick out, um, and then you can really tell the difference in the yeast strains and how they function and how they how they use, how they how they work with uh, you know house to house. But it's. It's a sweet style. There's almost no hops. Um, it's got these earthy herbal qualities. Uh, it's got a um, ton of yeast character, and the yeast is like cinnamon and orange and other flavors. It's just like it's yeah. It's hard to it's hard to describe. So uh, they like to serve it fairly low carbonation. So uh, Shetel had put some of his in a keg, uh, and he tried to carbonate it just enough to get it out of the the keg he he didn't he didn't like really carb it very much at all yeah so um yeah so it's it's almost a still product when when it's served nice well i'm jealous yeah would love to to take that six hour train ride and get to boston it's it's like a i mean if you want if you want a really special experience i think that's that's a good one well thank you for taking us there Mm. All right, well, we should wrap this up because we're getting long. Or uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions or comments to Jeff at BeerVanaPod.com. And on Twitter or on Instagram, it's the same thing. It's at BeerVanaPod. Indeed. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog. Great pictures and video there of his trip to Voss. And he tweets at Beervana. And uh, I tweet at Beervana. You're supposed to say that, weren't you? <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, I sometimes tweet at Beervana. All right. So we have this uh, slow departure. It's a modern West Coast India Pale Ale from Kings and Daughters Brewery. It's a really nice beer. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's a really uh, refined IPA. It is. A lot of sort of grapey white wine. And, yeah. Nice. Excellent. Cheers, Patrick. <laughs>